the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and my partner, Carrie, is off this weekend, so I'm filing solo today. Hopefully, I can navigate us off landing at the end of this hour. Financial Food for Thought is brought to you by the Estate Planning Team, Incorporated. And we're an Ohio-based registered financial fiduciary planning firm who have been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 36 years. Um, I'll give you more information on how you can get a hold of us and how you can sign up for a free consultation at a later. But my question for the audience today is, are you fed up yet? The median projection in the S&P for total PCE inflation is 3.3% this year, falls to 2.5% next year, and reaches 2% in 2026. Of course, this is Fed Chair Jerome Powell, who came out in the FOMC meeting in his press conference. And no surprises, they skipped raising rates in September, but left the door open that they may not be done raising interest rates, meaning that there is more pain coming. The Fed's monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship as it erodes purchasing power, especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks that high inflation poses to both sides of our mandate, and we are strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. So so he's saying that Okay, that they're they're not jumping ship yet. They're still trying to keep, you know, get back to 2%. But the other thing that they came out with was their, uh, what what they call the, the, the summary of their economic projections, or sometimes it's effectively known as the dot plots, right? And, and it says kind of what they're thinking about for the future. 
And that also is uh, something that we tend to look at every once in a while just to see what the Federal Reserve is modeling versus what we may want to be modeling in our own financial plans in terms of rates of inflation or perhaps if you're basing your 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 market risk and, and the risk of something along those lines failing, if we have a recession, you know, defined as two negative GDP quarters consecutively, something. And so part of the Federal Reserve's economic projections includes both assumptions for future GDP as well as future assumptions for what the, the preferred... <laughs> Inflation indicator that they use is the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures uh, Index, as, as opposed to the CPI, which which the Consumer Price Index. Um, they look at all the, the the indexes, obviously, but they kind of go from there. But what what had some people raising their eyebrows is, you know, based on what he said, I don't know if the Fed really knows. If keeping the benchmark funds rate at a 5% plus handle, is it sufficiently restrictive, which is the terminology they mean, that it's sufficiently restrictive, meaning that be, if they keep rates at that level, inflation will come down because of the pain it brings in, in, out you know, in America. Um, I, I just... You know that I'm sufficiently confused <laughs> on whether or not that their summer of economic projection dot plots is a target-based case scenario or just aspirations for what they think the U.S. economy. In other words, if you look at the um, if you look at their dot plots, and I'm and I and, and I looked at last September's what they came out with. And now a year later, what they're projecting this September, looking out into the future. Um, and it, it when when I look at their projections, you know, going into the next four years, so their dot plots lay out 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, and then the final is like longer, you know, their long-term projection. So if we look at GDP, they're saying for 2023, they're saying 2.1%. 2024, 1.5%. 2025, 1.8%. 2026, 1.8%. And longer, you know, 1.8%. Now, that's, for example, much higher than last September, what they were thinking. So if I look back at last September's dot plots, for 2023, they were projecting a GDP of one2 now it's 2.1. So the idea, so right there, they're saying, hey, there is no recession because I don't see two consecutive quarter, you know, negative quarters in this projection of GDP. Um, unemployment is another one that's part of their SEP, you know, projections. And unemployment, again, is right where, where they say they want to, they, they're still saying they, their target is kind of like a 4%. So they're saying for 2023, they're projecting 3.8%, 2024, 4.1. See, they, 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 they have to cause some pain. And, uh, and 2025, 4.1. And then 2026, back down to their target four, and then four ongoing. 
and and so and then with the inflation okay if the if you look at headline inflation uh they're saying for 2023 it's they're projecting 3.3 percent for 2024 2.5 percent for 2025 2.2 percent and then 2026 and longer they're at their target two percent now that is the idea that um, they they did you know when I look back at last September what they were thinking so they've pushed that out they, you know they higher inflation for longer the less transitory inflation because last year at this time they thought they'd be at their target two percent by 2025 now they're saying they're not going to be at their target until 2026 okay um so so it's but but on the surface the, the what's causing the confusion is because if you look at that that is kind of like a soft landing because what they're saying is they can get back you know they if this is their bench or you know their base case scenario i guess that's what i'm trying to say if this is their ba- if their this forecast which we i guess would have to assume is their base case scenario right um and i'm and i'm by the way i'm choosing the mediums you know you know of all the people in the in the federal reserve committee that are voting in the fomc i'm i'm just quoting the medium amounts you know you know maybe we'll, i'll look at the spreads maybe a little bit later too but the so this is the medium amount so they're saying that the I guess the medium base case scenario out of the Fed, you know, FOMC committee is that where they've got this soft landing. So one of the reporters at the press briefing, you know, asked about that and said, well, so then are you saying that the base case scenario is a soft landing and, and we can read between those lines, meaning there is no recession? Meaning that they will successfully navigated this, this idea where they went into a Fed tightening where they raised interest rates to slam down inflation without causing a U.S. recession. Now, Fed Chair's Powell response was, um, here's the quote, no, no, I would not do that. I've always thought that the soft landing was a plausible outcome, that there was a path to a soft landing. It's also possible that that path has narrowed and widened. Ultimately, this may be decided by factors outside of our control at the end of the day, but I don't think it's possible, Um, Paul said. I also think this is why we are in a position to move carefully again. We will restore price stability, and we know we have to do that, and we know that the public depends on us doing that. So, so now we're saying that if the forecast, meaning that a soft landing, is not the base case scenario because he's saying he's not saying it's a soft landing, why give the forecast? Um, that's what I don't understand. Um, so, and I guess... Um, it, it it's I guess it's just one of our old you know state planning team axioms you know all models are wrong but some are useful so so apparently even though um, the Federal Reserve's forecast in their summary of economic projections is showing that they're that, that it's looking like a soft landing i.e no recession inflation back to their target with no recession 
they're not calling for that. They're saying that's not their base case scenario. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're saying it, you know, it's plausible, um, I guess. And, and, you know, plausible, well, that, that could mean a lot of things. I, I, I guess anytime you, you talk about a soft landing, um, the plausibility. So what's going to, what's going to prevent the soft landing? Um, well, I think one of the things that are, you know, that the experts are kind of saying is that this, uh, the oil prices, you know, so everybody has, you know, rec- you know, have, you, you've probably noticed that the oil prices, meaning gas at the pump has kind of gone up recently and, and oil, you know, is, you know, tipped over a hundred dollars a barrel. Um, and why? And, and and again, the Federal Reserve is the first ones to admit that their monetary policy can't control global oil prices. OPEC and other countries have a lot more to do with it than the Fed does. Um, so, a second headwind out there is the UAW strike. Um, you know, we're taping this show on Friday, and we're getting news. You know, as I'm, I'm taping this show, that uh, you know the UAW president sean fain is is you know having a facebook or something he's saying hey we're ready to do more striking you know i mean the midnight hour is coming um so that is is a big headwind out there and and all the ancillary economic woes that causes you know if if there's an extended uaw strike right um a third one could be the housing situation, you know, and, and the, the, there's a lot of data coming out on that is how, how strong is the housing? You know, everybody's dealing with these higher mortgage rates and, and this idea that you can't, you know, there's a shortage of houses because nobody can afford to leave their current home and get a new home because they can't afford the new 7% mortgage rate if they're locked in right now at a 3% mortgage rate, um, and the other one too is the the student loan debt, which you know payments are supposed to start beginning next month. So a lot of headwinds, and whether you know a plausible, who knows? I mean, you know, and where did that soft landing uh, come? Out? Obviously, it's an aviation term, right? Kind of like you know, we thought that it's a plausible outcome that F thirty five fighter jets can always navigate a soft landing. What wasn't that a weird story? About how that, you know, and, and that story just gets weirder and weirder all the time. You know, the, I mean, so apparently, you know, and in other words, we still don't know why the pilot ejected other than it was some type of mishap. But then, you know, and then we heard, you know, obviously the plane kept flying after the pilot ejected. Um, and so then I guess it was thought that perhaps or thought was that it was somehow on autopilot. Okay. And, 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 and the reason being that why those jets have an autopilot is because in any, in any time, in any real time, the pilot passes out for any reason and, or, you know, loses consciousness for a minute or two and comes back, you know, plane doesn't crash. But then now we're hearing that maybe it wasn't on autopilot. Well, that's kind of interesting. Um, and so then, there, well, but in either case, I mean, somehow the robot took over, right? Because the plane was airborne for a while, and and actually, so was is the is the robot smart enough? Even though the autopilot switch wasn't turned on, the robot somehow knew he got to keep flying it. I mean, it's just a bizarre story. And, and then, well, it's least to know, uh, you know, if you're going to spend a hundred million to build one of these planes, right? At least to know, it's it's nice to know that the auto robot pilot can do stunt flying. 
So, so have you heard this, that now there's eyewitness accounts saying that when the uh, empty a pilot, an empty cockpit plane was flying over their heads. It was inverted. Um, and, and that, you know, and wow, it's just, it's just a crazy. So, so, and then, so the soft landing is, is referred. And actually they, they think originally the soft landing reference goes back to actually hot air balloons. Um, you know, when, when at the time that, I guess it was a pretty tricky endeavor to try to land a hot air balloon, you know, and, and get the buoyancy correct and everything like that. It was also, I think, more recently than that, then it was really um, kind of brought back into the mainstream Fed speak, so to speak, <laughs> when in the Nixon era, you know, recent, you know, after the, the, the 1969 Apollo 11 moon landing. Right. And, and um, at that time, there was a lot of talk about the soft landing on the moon, you know, successful soft landing on the moon. Um, and, the uh, and so after that, it, it kind of they started kind of using that. Now a lot of people, of course, in retrospect now, don't believe there was a soft landing on the moon, right? Because it never happened. It was a stall of government hoax. I don't know if I believe that, but so so the question becomes: Do you believe that the soft landing is still possible? Um, Janet Yellen does, um, you know, the former Fed chair president and now treasury secretary. So she's still saying that she believes that a soft landing is, is possible. Um, we can also, I also heard Jim Bullard and Jim Bullard was the former, um, St. Louis Fed bank president. And I, I heard him interviewed on Bloomberg this week and they asked him, you know, you know, with, with the, uh, it is are we looking at, based on these dot plots are we saying that we've got a successful soft landing coming our way and you know and he he, he again he's pointing out well you know you can't call it a soft landing until we're at the two percent target rate and he said right now we're nowhere near that and and they're saying we're not may not be there until 2026. So th- that's maybe one of the reasons why no Fed Powell isn't claiming a soft landing because in his own it, it, projections they're saying we were, we're not going to get to two percent until twenty twenty six. But Jim Buller does believe the prospects are looking good. Um, so so they asked him, well, um, you know what what is it then? You know, what does it look like out a couple of years, our U.S. economy? And he he said, well, he he referenced back to the um, the, the really one of the last times, um, I think, since World War Two, that the Fed actually successfully navigated a soft landing. And it was in the 1990s. All right. And it was really, um, I don't know if I've got something on this somewhere here. Oh, yeah, it was. The, so the classic example of the soft landing is the monetary tightening conducted under Alan Greenspan in the mid-1990s. In early 1994, the economy was approaching its third year of recovery following the 1990 to 1991 recession. Okay. By February of 1994, the unemployment rate was falling rapidly down from 7.8% to 6.6%. 6. 
CPI inflation sat at 2.8%, and the federal funds rate sat around 3%. Remember, the federal rate fund rates right now are 5+. plus. Okay, With the economy growing and unemployment shrinking rapidly, the Fed was concerned about a potential pickup in inflation and decided to raise rates preemptively. See, so so this is what everybody, you know, not only Wall Street, but all the times, you know, this is kind of what they're saying. They're saying that um, what the Federal Reserve, you know, when they haven't said they're pausing interest rate hikes yet, which, by the way, when they say they're pausing, that does not also say the next day they're cutting rates. Okay, when they when they announce that they're pausing, they're just saying they're not going to increase rates anymore. That's not the same thing as saying they're immediately going to cut. So remember, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk that the Federal Reserve would have to preemptively start cutting rates faster than what they were saying. And a lot of people thought that they'd be, if not cutting rates by now, they certainly thought they'd be cut, be cutting rates in 2024. Now that's probably not the what the Fed's signaling right now. All right. Um, so back to the 90s. Um, during 1994, the Fed raised rates seven times, doubling the federal funds rates from 3 to 6%. Then it cut its key interest rate, the federal funds rate, three times in 1995. So that was a, the quick cut. So they were raising in 1994, and they started cutting in 1995. You know, and, 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 and when they saw the economy softening more than required to keep inflation from rising. So, so that was really the time that they, now were they lucky? <laughs> I think there's probably a part of luck into that. Did, you know, were they not blindsided by something that's completely beyond their control, like global oil prices or, um, the, the, uh, the UAW strike or, or the, uh, right now the government's going to shut down at the end of this month. It looks like, um, I got to get the Panda, you know, camera, uh, you know, going here in, at the end of the month, um, to see if the, the government shut down or not. Um, and, and by the way, that's an interesting point. If the government does shut down, then one of the things that's on the chopping block are some of these CPI calculations and stuff. You know, if the workers are are are, on, are shut down, so the Federal Reserve might not get their normal uh, data dependent. You know, they always say they're data dependent. They might not get the next round of data timely if the government shuts down. That's something again beyond their control, but it certainly could affect what they do. Um, so. So yeah, so so back to the the ninety the nineties. So yeah, so in that time frame, the nineteen ninety four nineteen ninety five, okay, they they successfully landed the soft landing, and then let's look at the prosperity after that. Does anybody remember the good old days of the nineteen late nineteen nineties? Oh yeah, I'm sure a lot of you do. Um, how well the stock market was doing, um, everybody, you know, the low unemployment, the, uh, the, 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 the productivity that the companies, you know, all the, the dot com companies were all starting. And I remember the, the day trading that was going on and all, and all that, you know, that, and that all was that had a pretty good run there. So is that perhaps if, if, if the Federal Reserve can navigate this soft landing, are we prepare or are we looking at maybe that that type of recovery? As a matter of fact, you know, historically, when the Federal Reserve does indicate 
that their tightening is over, meaning when they come out and say there is a pause. Okay, that's a, that's been a clear indicator to Wall Street that they can now start banking on stuff. And if you look historically, the performance of the S&P 500, you know, at any 12-month period following the end of a Fred tightening cycle, you're talking double-digit growth. Now, again, we always say what happened in the past doesn't mean that's going to happen in the future. It's just that's one of the things that it's tough to difficult. So, so in other words, how do you then navigate this? Well, if you want, if you're building your own model and you're, you're saying, I better, um, I better use a higher inflation rate than what I've been using in my plan A, let's say. Because maybe you built your plan A when before this inflation increase, and maybe you increased it for a year in 2023, maybe or maybe you haven't yet. But also, you know how you know how you should do it. So if I mentioned those dot plots before, and and the and the, but the, one more thing that I did notice, I thought very interesting, is that when i compare the september 2022 dot plots to the current september 2023 dot plots you know you you know if you listen to show and if you listen to if you watch the the uh inflation indexes there's always a discussion between headline inflation and core inflation core meaning you're eliminating the volatile energy and food prices and and, you know, the adults in the room always look at core um, because they understand that concept that you can't, you know, you can't control global food or global oil prices. Um, so but normally people say, well, that's that's a mistake by the government or by the, the, the economist because headline is what's real to me. And usually you, you would think headline inflation is higher than core inflation. Well, on, according to the projections of the Federal Reserve, that's not the case. It flip-flopped, which is really surprising to me. So they're projecting in the future that actually core PCE inflation is going to be a tad higher than headline PC inflation for the next three to four years. Isn't that interesting? But anyways, back to, um, you know, back to how would you, you know, or what you want to be building into your own financial plan, right? Um, well, one way of looking at that is how aggressive or how conservative you want to be. And in this instance, I'm saying conservative, you would use a higher rate of inflation, right? Or if you're aggressive, you would use the lower end of inflation, right? And so when we're, if I'm looking at the Fed dot plots, we can break those down, you know, and, and, and sometimes if you, you know, we can look at the ranges of what all the committee members voted or, you know, projected. And the low range versus the high range, or we can look at the medium range. Um, now, and so the low range, we call, sometimes we call that living on Fantasy Island, right? Meaning um, that if, are you really going to be that aggressive and go with the low range and thinking that, it, you know, the soft landing is, is, is a done deal? Um, the medium, you know, medium, I would say that would be 
really what your base case scenario may be. And if you want to be more conservative, you might want to go with the, you know, you're, you're, you're on the island, but, you know, you're not on Fantasy Island. You're on the island that there's, a, you know, the economic hurricane coming. Remember Jamie Dimon's uh, dire forecast? Uh, uh, that was probably a year ago now or sometime when he said, you know, get ready for the economic hurricane. All right. So if looking at, so what I'm going to do is let's just look at what the Federal Reserve is projecting under those three scenarios, low, medium, and high. And then you may get an idea of what you want to build your financial model on. So for 2023, the low range, medium, I'm just, you know, the the low of the med- of the low range, the end, you know, the bottom was about 3.5%. Okay, that'd be like the best case, you know, case scenario. The high projection for this year, 2023, is 4.2%. And the medium projection was about 3.7. Okay. How about for 2024? Okay. The low of the range was 2.3%, almost at the 2% target. Um, the medium was 2.6%. Okay. And the high of the end is 3.6%. Okay. How about for 2025? Well, the low is at now the Fed's target 2.0%. Okay. The medium range, though, is still above that 2.3%. And the high forecast is still at a three handle, 3.0. Still a long way to go to get to two. Okay. And then by 2026, now both the low and the medium are at the Fed's target too. But the high end of the forecast is still at three or actually 2.9. Okay. Um, and then, you know, and, and, and so that's, so that's kind of, now the other thing too, is a lot of people say, well, I, I don't even believe that. So if you want to, you know, one more for the road, you might want to add one percentage point onto all those, whichever you're using the low, medium or high, maybe you want to add one more. So now, you know, so what we would be recommending to clients who want to take a conservative and a realistic approach, we may be saying assume 5% for 2023, 4.5% for 2024, 4% for 2025, and maybe three to 3.5% finally ongoing. And that would be back to how a lot of our clients we were running that type of plan. We would never use 2%. None of our clients ever thought 2% was real. Um, but a lot of our clients did believe, and the the, the data proved out in, in looking back in the rearview mirror, that 3 to 3.5% inflation for the daily living expenses was sufficient, and that kept them ahead of their plan projections. All right, so you're listening to Mark Donnelly of the estate planning team, and we have been helping Cleveland families build these cups and financial plans for over 36 years. And over those decades, we have certainly tried to keep the peace of mind of our clients saying, yes, let's, if, if we now know that reality is changing an assumption that we made in your plan, a, let's say in this example, inflation, let's make the adjustment accordingly to make sure you're still on track. If you'd like more information about our firm, please, you can visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string of letters, financialfoodforthought.com. And you can find financial articles. We we have the newsletters. We have calculators. If you want to do a mortgage calculation, something like that, you can also link to these radio show podcasts. 
Um, also, on the website, you can sign up for a free, no-obligation consultation. They can be done in person. Um, if, if people are still concerned about, um, you, you know, the Rona and, and the, the new COVID variant out there, that that's we can certainly understand that. Or we, they can be done in person. Um, you know, a lot of people, we've noticed that we, we got a, a pretty good response to our classes this year. You know, the classes kind of shut down in the Rona, you know, time period. And they're, they're, people are getting back. And, and you know, I want to thank everyone who came out to our classes for the last couple of weeks. And I'm here to say not one person in either class was wearing a mask. So I guess maybe we're getting a little bit more comfortable getting back outside. Um and if you would like a free consultation, and you, you can always sign up for that on the website, or you can simply call us. So our home office number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. And just leave a message, and uh, somebody will get back a hold of you. Um, I also... It said there's um there's another scam alert and I don't know if I have it and you know we keep we keep talking about um the, you know the people that are falling to these scams and losing money and I just I, you know it it kind of <laughs> It, it, no matter how often we try to warn people or warn our clients, it, you know, it still happens. So, I, you know, I got my Thursday local paper and here's out of the, you know, the police blotter. And here's the story. On September 1st at 3.35 p.m., a resident reported that she had been the victim of a scam. While on her computer, she clicked on a link. After clicking the link, her computer locked up and a screen flashed telling her to call Microsoft because she had been hacked. She called the number provided and was told she needed to pay to have her computer unlocked. She purchased $2,000 in gift cards and called Microsoft back. She thought she was calling Microsoft. Obviously, she's not. And after paying with the gift cards, she realized that she had been scammed. Officers are investigating. The police department reminds residents that no reputable company will have customers pay in gift cards. Now, we have been, this gift card thing has been going for a decade or longer. You know, you have to, no one reputable is saying you've got to immediately pay them with gift cards. Does, Does everybody get that now? So if you get that, okay, I want you to remind if you have older parents, please tell them that never pay somebody with gift cards. Okay. If you've got younger, you know, you know, millennials or coming up kids, please tell them so that everybody they'll know. Um, and maybe we can stop seeing these stories being reported again and again and again. Um, all right. So one of the things that we had mentioned is a headwind that may prevent the successful soft landing is the UAW strike. And the, we've got the, uh, supposedly, you know, there's deadlines coming up. 
we've heard both sides of the story. Um, the unions looking for a 40% raise. The auto makers have, you know, offered 20%. They're not in agreement yet. So can we just, is it going to take 30%? Well, there's got to be some, um, you know, compromise there, you know, because again, if, if, if the, the dollars involved, if the, if those, you know, three automakers have an extended strike is, is shattering to the economy. Um, be, one, it, it's, it's shattering to the, the companies, um, the, you know, as well as it's shattering to the, the, the striking workers who, you know, aren't going to be able to live on the $500, uh, uh, you know, strike fund for too long and maintain their lifestyle. Um, so what else, what are the other issues? So, you know, one of the things is the, the 36 hour or the, I'm sorry, the 32 hour work week for 40 hours of pay. I don't know if they're, if the union is seriously thinking they're going to get that, but what I think they are seriously want, you know, a, a non-negotiable is, um, they, they want to get back to COLA adjustments. Okay. Man, you know, keyed in, you know, you know, that, that, uh, you know, not only the, the initial 20 or 30 or 40% pay increases, but a commitment that there's going to be ongoing cost of living increases. But another one that has come out is they want to get back to the defined benefit pension plans. Okay. As opposed to the defined contribution, the 401ks. So currently, UAW workers hired after 2007 don't receive defined benefit pensions. Um, their health benefits are also less generous. You know, so for years, the union gave up general pay increases and cost of living wage increases to help the companies control costs. Um, though now they're saying the top scale assembly workers uh, earn $32.32 an hour, um, temporary workers start at just under $17 an hour. Um, full-time workers have received profit-sharing checks ranging this year from $9,700 at Ford to, you know, $14,760 at Stellantis, you know, the, the Chrysler Jeep. So that's, so that's interesting because this is what we've also been talking about on this radio show for a long time is that, um, you know, basically after the 401k has been around for what, maybe 44, 45 years in retrospect, look in the rear view mirror. It's been, a, it's been a complete disaster for the, 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 you know, half of the baby boomers. You know, again, I always stress the big wealth gap we have in this country and where, you know, so if you did the right thing, if you, you know, starting the first year you worked and you started maxing your contribution to your 401k and you got the free match, the free money all for, you know, 30 years of working and you didn't get too aggressive in your picks. So you didn't go 100% into the stock market. Maybe you kept a balance more of the 50 50 or the 60 40. Um, with the free match, you're probably going to be okay. But if the problem with the 401ks is it wasn't a mandatory contribution. So a lot of people did not get started right away and, and, and contributing or, and then they realized when they got in a position where they had a little bit of excess money, it was too late, too little, too late. Okay. Which, you know, led to the baby boomers dilemma. Mark, I can never retire. 
all right, um, because my nest egg isn't big enough and I don't have a pension. All I've got is, you know, Social Security and the 401k, which is not what I need it to be. So, so, the, and I think, so the UAW, I think the unions, I think they're saying, yeah, we got to get back to that. Now the teachers union, they still have those good pensions. Um, and you know, and, and, but you know, that's kind of now the secure acts one and two also are making directions in here and, and they want to do things to try to get people, you know, you know, automatically enrolled right when they start and, and they're, they're trying to make, you know, options available, you know, Roth 401ks, for example, now, um, or they're also trying to say that, uh, they want annuities inside 401ks now, you know, cause they disappeared, you know, the, 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 the companies had thought there was a big liability if they offered annuities inside a 401k, um, because they would have to hire an insurance company to provide those annuities, you know, only life insurance companies, you know, do annuities. Um, and if, if the, they chose a life insurance company to provide an annuity option inside the 401k, and then later on, you know, 20 years into the retirees, 30 year retirement, that life insurance company went belly up and, and, the and, and they it couldn't continue paying out the annuitized, you know, amount, the lifetime income amount, um, the, 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 the former employee, the retiree, would they hold, hold the company responsible because the company was the one that picked the life insurance company. So as part of a deal of the secure, you know, what the government said is, you know, we want, you know, but it was, a, you know, the idea is that wasn't such a bad idea because that's what now people are saying is, darn, I wish I had one of those pension plans. And of course, that's what annuities can do. That's why sometimes they're referred to as a self-pension, right? Because you can annuitize your contract. So the idea is if you, you could start funding a 401k, and part of your contribution could be going into an annuity concept. And then later on, as you get to retirement, you could say, okay, by the way, based on what I've built up now in that annuity, can you know, then you have the actuaries at the life insurance company run your projection about what type of guaranteed income that would kick out to you in retirement. Right. So so the Secure Act is getting those annuities back in as options to the 401k. And the government is making a, a deal with the companies saying if, you know, they're going to try to work out a plan that the companies would never feel that they you know, were liable. You know, it kind of the idea that perhaps the government will put together a uh, a list of. Uh, you know, top rated life insurance companies. And as long as the company is, is, are, are choosing someone off the government approved list, the government will back that. Um, again, it, that's part, it's a part of the law. It's, it hasn't really been implemented yet. They keep kind of kicking the can down the road, but I do think that's coming. Um, so those are, you know, so in, and the UAW, so it's interesting because, um, there's also a lot of politics with the UAW strike. Um, and so I, you know, this is interesting because next week is, is going to be the second gap debate right on Wednesday, the, you know, the, 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 the 27th. I, um, and so president Trump announced that he would not be going to the debate. No surprise there, but now he kind of announced also in the same night, he's going to Detroit to talk to the, Workers, um, and the talk, and and 
Now, remember, Trump won Michigan in 2016. That was a big blow to the Democrats. Um, now, the UAW didn't endorse him, um, you know, and, and uh, trust me, uh, Sean Fain isn't endorsing Trump right now. As a matter of fact, I have Sean's. I have Sean Fain's quote here. Every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. We can't keep electing billionaires and millionaires that don't have any understanding what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck and struggle to get by and expect them to solve the problems of the working class. Doesn't sound like uh, that's a strong Trump endorsement to me. Um, Now, but um, so so, and 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 the and one of the reasons why the the UAW was so against Trump is because at the time when when Trump's campaign when campaigning before he you know his solution to the um, to the cost. Remember, so the so because the the auto companies they always threaten that the cost of U.S. labor is is preventing them to be globally uh, competitive, and because the cost of labor in other countries is so much cheaper, and so the so the idea of we're going to manufacture outside of the U.S. because we have to stay competitive either with the auto companies globally or even U.S. auto companies that aren't unionized, like, you know, Tesla. Um, so, you know, and so, it, but when Trump w- w- was, you know, was saying, well, no, the approach isn't to have to move the manufacturing outside of the U.S. All you got to do is move to a non-union state. And that got UAW very upset. Because now that's still job threatening to them. It's to the union jobs, all right. So, so that's one of the reasons. Now, so but back to the politics. So now I don't know if Trump is going to go on, you know, to Detroit. How he, how you know how it will go if he does go? Is he going to try? Is he? I don't know. Is is he going to try to go prime time against the GOP debate? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. Um, but but in the meantime, a lot of let's go to the other side of the aisle. A lot of people are saying, why hasn't Biden gone to Detroit yet? Um, or if not Biden, how about the labor secretary? Well, the problem is we don't really have a labor secretary right now. Well, w- we have an acting labor secretary, Julie Sue. Does does anybody know who Julie Sue is? Um, you might remember the former um Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, remember the, the and he got he was doing a good job. Where's Where's Marty when you need him, right? Um, remember he was the former Boston mayor. He had that heavy Boston accent, but remember he was dealing with the the, the uh, you know remember all the ships were you're out on the uh, they were out on the uh, out in California out in the bay because there were no dock workers. And remember he kind of you know got that going, and then he was also the railroads. He was successfully um, helping get those contracts renewed and stuff like that i think i think by i I, again you know marty you know he whatever i don't know if he was asked to leave or he left on his own but now and then the problem right now julie sue i guess she hasn't really been officially confirmed yet by the house and the senate politics right um but but the, the strange thing was um they were supposed to, you know, Julie and um, Gene Sperling, who was also a, 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 you know, 
uh, a big economic guy that's that's helped out in the in the in these types of negotiations in the past. They were supposed to go to Detroit, but then apparently that their trip was canceled. And I don't know. So you know, a lot going on there, and we'll see what that entails. But well, it'll be interesting next week to see if uh, Trump does show up in Detroit. We'll see if Biden tries to beat him to Detroit, or we'll see if there's any uh, you know effort that, that this UAW strike gets settled before it wrecks the U.S. economy. All right, we've got a few minutes left. You're listening to Mark Donnelly, State Planning Team. You can always get a hold of us. Call our main office at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. If you'd like a free consultation, you can also visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. And, well, uh, if, if you're wondering how you should be building a model based on your conservative approach if you think that the soft landing will not be negotiated so the Buckeyes tonight you know so so Eric sound engineer extraordinary can't talk about the Browns anymore are they are they done or are you, you know, you're shaking your head no okay we'll still hope for the Browns but big game you know now if Ohio State uh if they're ready for Notre Dame we'll see I guess if I had to say Ohio State's not going to go undefeated and they had to have a loss, I would still say I'd rather see them lose to uh, Notre Dame than lose to that state up north. Um, so good luck and everybody enjoy the game. Um, last couple of minutes, uh, just one of the things that came out at the classes that we had this we- this last couple of weeks was a common theme was this idea that these the 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 baby boomers going into retirement the 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 question that we keep getting is well you know how and when should i start taking my ira distributions and i'm using ira ira broadly that could be 401k for other b what have you but it's and we've been getting that question for thirty six years, right? Um, it's nothing new to us, and it's and this and the salute and the answer is nothing new. It's it's that it's what we try to keep getting people used to is that you know you're stuck in the accumulation phase, all right? You you've got to go through that growing pain. You've got in other words, at some point you have to come to the realization that you've accumulated enough. To be okay. And now it's no longer where you're trying to get your pot bigger. The idea is now it's to enjoy the fruit of your labors for how long you were working and to put together a retirement lifestyle that you always wished you had or you're wondering if you have. All right. So it's still, you know, and, and you then have to, you know, change your thinking. That, okay, I'm no longer trying to save, save, save. I now have to get used to, I'm starting to distribute from my assets. 
Okay, and then that's where we talk about the different tax trappers and how the cost of, you know, what it costs to get out of this type of IRA, what it costs to get out, you know, tax free out of Roth IRA or, or long term capital gains and the, and, and the non qualified investments. And that's why, you know, you, you want to try to set that, um, that nest egg up before you retire so that you're not handcuffed and only have one option for grazing money in retirement. Um, but that that's the idea and and then and then everybody says you know what about taxes well you know taxes like we said it's not maybe your first thing you know it maintaining lifestyle maybe is your first objective and then if we can do it tax efficiently it makes it just your plan a bit sweeter um so certainly that's important but we don't usually lead with you know why I'm you know my old you know axiom I can save everybody tax dollars don't spend any money <laughs> I can guarantee you if you don't spend any money I can save you taxes um but yeah I wouldn't have too many happy clients with that you know recommendation so that's the idea and and we talk a lot about playing the tax limbo game meaning saying there's all these arbitrary thresholds in a very complicated tax code the idea is saying where are the, those fall in where does my lifestyle take me up to do i have room before that next threshold and and that's what we're working with and that helps you then start the process of saying how much do i have to pull out of my nest egg this year next year for the next 30 years but also because of the taxes how can i do it tax efficiently that's the beginning key of getting a formal written financial plan that leaves you in the decision making mode and also gets you over that hurdle of going from the accumulation phase to the distribution phase. All right. Heard the music. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.